Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry or outside of the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. Now, the man that you see, we go way back back in the time. As you can see, he's repping the G Burrow on his chest. That's where we met as undergraduates at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. He's a licensed clinical social worker and a member of the Playboy Pazeta chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Shout out to all my friends that are Playboys. Y'all know who y'all are. It's my good friend, Jaron, JD, Doby, JD. Welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, man. Man, Jarrell, look, man, it's been a really, really long time. Been watching everything that you've been doing, been doing some amazing interviews. I, I truly am humble, man, and honored to be able to be here uh, with you today. Thank you so much for having me, man. Thank you. Man, the pleasure is all mine, man. I just look at it like I got a platform and let me share with everybody, man especially those who, who I know that's out doing well in the community. And it's just my privilege and my duty to help those that are in position. You know what I mean? Absolutely, man. Well, once again, man, I, uh, I just have to thank you for, for having me, man, and for having me here to be able to discuss uh, such important topics, man. So like I said, thank you again. Thank you so much. Oh, man, not a problem. So let's go ahead and kick it off now. You were born and raised in Greensboro? Yes, yes. As you can see, you know, born and raised Greensboro, North Carolina, um, raised on the south side of Greensboro in a neighborhood called Woodley Lakes. Um, it's a neighborhood that is near and dear to my heart. Um, still uh, taking an opportunity to go back and visit. Um, I've actually adopted the main street that runs down the middle um, of the neighborhood that I actually grew up in in honor of one of my deceased friends. His name is Brandon Dwight Blue, who passed on November 14, 2003. Um, and we also have taken an opportunity to uh, develop a scholarship in his name as well. So Greensboro uh, is a city that it will always be near and dear to my heart. I love it. Yeah. Now, what high school did you end up going to in Greensboro? Did you go to Grimsley, Dudley, Smith, North, Northeast Guilford? Where did you go? I, I actually graduated from the best high school in Greensboro, and that is the one and only James B. Dudley High School. Yes. Shouts out to all my Panthers. But yes, I did graduate from Dudley. Yes, sir. All right. And great alums that went to Dudley. So you could Google that to see all that came through those halls. Now, what led you to want to go to UNCG? And now, was that your first choice? Um, to be honest with you, UNCG was my only choice. Um, I actually am the youngest of four boys. <clears throat> One of my older brothers uh, actually ended up attending UNCG before I did. And, and for personal reasons, um, he had to, uh, to leave the city um, and, and attend school elsewhere. Um, I, I found it, took it upon myself, excuse me, uh, to go back and finish what it is that he started. Um, both of my parents uh, are Aggies. Um, my mother also attended um, a Bennett College, and she's a Bennett Bell as well. And I saw myself, you know, wanted to do something a little different, um, to be quite honest with you. Dudley High School, as everyone knows for it to be, uh, they call it Little A&T. And um, a lot of my friends were going in that direction. A lot of people I knew were going in that direction. But I sought uh, to strike out to be different. Um, I sought to do something to be able to challenge myself in a way that I hadn't before. And that's when I found myself applying to UNCG and the rest is history. Yeah, now for those of you that don't know, I'm gonna tell you something that you probably don't know, JD. UNCG wasn't really on my radar up until maybe sophomore year going into junior year. I was in a program called Upward Bound, and you know what Upward Bound is, right? I do, uh, I do. Yeah, so every Friday we'll take a college tour. And this one particular Friday, mm -hmm. we happened to tour UNCG, and the guide was actually from my hometown and UNCG sold me on the spot because before then, I was completely obsessed with wanting to go to Carolina. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to be a Tar Heel man, but UNCG sold me, I applied, got accepted, and boom, fall 04, landed on campus. And just to step foot on that campus, it was like, man, I think I made the mm -hmm. right choice. It's not too big, not too small. You'll get a nice little workout walking to and from, but the radio station was what sold me. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. And now you're talking about the legendary WUAG. Uh, had so many fond memories of that radio station, so many great opportunities provided uh, by on air talent like yourself, 
Um, like it's, it's just been, I mean, oh my gosh, man, just a great place to attend school, but also just a great place to be able to foster uh, so many different relationships and to expand on so many different areas of our talents, man. It was a, a, a time that I'll never forget. Yeah, definitely. Big shout outs to everybody that came through UAG, DJ Ave, Section 8, A-Town, Lane, Josh, Jessam Stanley, who's doing a thing right now as a YouTube influencer, yoga, and also big ups to my boy Chris Lee out in Raleigh Durham at WREL, Lee Sports Anchor, out doing his thing. So you're at UNCG. You're doing your thing around campus, rapping and whatnot. Join a couple of organizations, primarily Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, Playboy Positive Chapter. Shout out once again to all my friends who are Playboys, and I admire you guys from afar, the community service that you guys do, and just what the organization stands for, and just a great group of guys, you know, when going to events that you have on campus like the forums that you have discussing various issues and i feel that those forums are definitely needed now given our current climate especially when you're a minority on a pwi campus where you feel like there's not a lot of safe spaces where you can completely express yourself without worrying about looking over your shoulder mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we had the opportunity to be able to uh, create uh, a meeting place uh, for anyone who wanted to, uh, to, to be able to attend to uh, address um, significant um, on-campus uh, political, social, um, academic issues um, that ranged uh, from so many different topics, um, to be quite honest with you. It also created a, a platform, excuse me, for the, uh, the black and minority community at UNCG to be able to have a voice and to be able to come together and to discuss relevant topics around the, uh, that were current at that particular time. So um, it, it, is, it was something that I had never seen before, um, uh, to be quite honest with you, that was being done on, on, at a predominantly white institution. And uh, it just uh, was just so well received, to be quite honest with you, but I, I would be remiss uh, if I did not say that it would, be, would have been nothing without the, uh, uh, our, our fellow students, our fellow Spartans, um, they showed up and showed out often, often and in large number uh, to be able to come and, and share their opinions and relations to these things. And um, it was just a, a, a beauty to behold. Um, and definitely some great discussions came out of that. And a whole lot of future leaders were able to emerge um, uh, from such a great forum. Yeah. And while with the movie Higher Learning, seeing how all of the different groups were separated based on race and commonalities. I didn't really experience a lot of that at, UA, at UNCG, excuse me, that mm -hmm. you did have your cliques, but everybody pretty much interacted amongst each other. You rolled in different mm -hmm. circles and you were able to ingratiate yourself with different groups. So it wasn't like, oh, all of the blacks hang here. Or, oh, all the Latinos mm -hmm. hang here. Everybody was mixing and matching and just hanging out and having a good time. Now, first coming into campus, when you first hit that class, did you feel kind of like, oh, I'm the only one here? And mm -hmm. I'm experiencing being around white people a little bit more than I did when I was at Dudley. Right, right. Um, to be quite yeah. honest with you, um, I had parents that uh, presented uh, me and, and my brother. Uh, well, let, let me actually change that. Not actually just say presented, but actually put us in positions um, at very young ages to be able to uh, interact with people of all races, to be honest with you. Um, we had very close friends um, within my family growing up uh, that were of different um, cultural backgrounds. Um, at a very young age, prior to coming to UNCG, I was actually a part of a Caribbean uh, steel drum group that was actually a traveling group um, uh, around the, uh, the country and, you know, um, that had diverse members in it in which the leader of it, uh, of our group was um, a white man named Tracy Thornton. And I have to thank him. Uh, to be honest with you for so much because he was the first person to expose me actually at a very young age to uh, African drumming, uh, various hand drums, uh, Caribbean style music, Caribbean steel drums. He actually was my teacher. Um, and through that relationship and through that, to that, uh, that, that teaching from him, um, I was able to see sites that I'd never seen before at a very young age, be able to provide for my family at a very young age and just be exposed to so many different areas 
contest um, and so many different musical acts, Jarrell. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we traveled with uh, Bob Marley's original Whalers band, of course, in the absence of Bob Marley, because uh, he, um, of course, was deceased at the time. I may rest in peace. Um, we also uh, uh, would tour with uh, uh, legendary reggae artist Burning Spear, actually opened up for Lauren Hill at Walnut Creek. Um, also was able to open up for, um, oh my gosh, Marshall Montano and Ecstatic, which is, uh, he's probably the largest soca artist, arguably, that ever lived. And we had the opportunity to open uh, for him as well. Um, got to play the main stage at Disney's Epcot Center um, for an entire month. And, and that was, I mean, headlining. And just so many different other uh, shows and, and being able to expose uh, for things that I could share. But to, uh, to be able to bring it back around full circle, those moments, that exposure um, was something that prepared me to be able to be in an environment, to be quite honest with you, where I was not the majority. So I wasn't uncomfortable at all, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, yeah, I can attest to that because for me it's a little bit different, you know, coming from a rural country town in northeastern North Carolina, close to Virginia, not a lot of diversity mm -hmm. because you can count the number of white students on your fingers. Mm -hmm. And by the time you come to UNCG, you're like, oh, I don't know how to interact here because I'm used to being the majority. So it was definitely a steep learning curve, but it's something that I think is well needed because you got to be able to learn how to work in different rooms because the world is not going to be one. You're going to have to interact with different people and learn how to be in different environments, learn to ingratiate yourself and not judge a book mm -hmm. by its cover and go by generalizations and stereotypes because the world is much bigger than any town USA, you know? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I couldn't have said it better myself. You're absolutely right. Mm, and you were mentioning reggae. I want to throw a quick, quick plug to the Reggae Cafe. If you're in Greensboro and if you want that good homestyle island flavor <laughs> food, go to the Reggae Cafe. Yeah. I've never been there, never ate there in my five years there. Go eat at Reggae Cafe. Also, <laughs> Stephanie's, Maxi B's, Shrimp Shack. And if you know somebody from Men's Grill, tell, tell your boy wants some of that Men's wing sauce. Best wing sauce you ever had in your life. <laughs> If you've been to UNCG right. from early 2000s on, you know about men's grill and that sauce. Yes, yes, yes. Two legendary restaurants. And if, if you want some good, authentic um, uh, um, Caribbean, Jamaican, right, reggae-inspired um, uh, vibes as well, please make sure that you uh, go check out Paradise Restaurant as well in Greensboro. Jarrell, I got to take you. Next time you're back in the states, man, you're yes, gonna, you gonna love that. That's that's a that's a Greensboro histor historical mark uh, yeah. in the community. Yeah, yeah. man, I, I got to tell you a funny story. It was like two years ago. I uh -huh. took my wife to Stephanie's. Right, we drove from my hometown in Gaston, which is like maybe three hours from Greensboro. We drove all mm -hmm. the way there to Stephanie's just so that she yeah. could try it out because I had been telling about Stephanie so much, <laughs> and I was like, trust me. It is worth the drive. So Stephanie's mm -hmm. located off of Random and Road. I want my five dollar check in the mail. Definitely go check that out. So you graduate UNCG. What happens next for you after you get your degree? Walk across that stage. Did you go to grad school um, right away, or did you take a pause to figure out I want to reset and what I want to do? Uh, to be honest with you, uh, I, I was in, in limbo. Uh, it, it was uh, UNCG, my academic, uh, I guess, focuses there had changed. I came in as a music major um, and had actually ended up changing my major midway to psychology uh, because I found it to be more interesting. I had been a musician my entire life um, and, and wanted to kind of switch gears and be a man of many hats and not just one, to be honest with you. But when I graduated, um, I was kind of left uh, not really knowing, didn't really know a lot of people in the mental health field. But it was actually um, a, a great family friend of mine. Her name is Sonia Desai. Um, you can look her up. She's done tremendous work uh, in, in the Greensboro and surrounding counties area um, with so many different organizations um, and has saved so many lives in the process and being able to do that as well. And she actually introduced me to the first eight mental health agency that I ever worked at in Greensboro. Um, she referred me. 
And to be honest with you, Jarrell, uh, I, I tell the story a lot uh, when I speak on just being motivated and entering the mental health field. But I actually took a job um, as a receptionist at this mental health agency as a psychology major, new, newly graduated psychology major, just to get my foot in the door. Because I knew if I could get my foot in the door, that I could prove that I had more talents to be able to give and that I was really hungry to be able to serve and continue to serve and help other people. Jarrell, when I tell you that that experience is one that I'll never forget, um, I was actually able to be promoted very quickly um, uh, within at the time community support was actually really big in the community, in the mental health uh, uh, arena um, and was able to do that. And eventually um, within a couple of months was actually um, uh, given my own program uh, within that company that actually uh, served the most serious juvenile felons in Guilford County. Um, it was a journey that I will never forget, to be honest with you. And it was actually through the, uh, the owner that was alive, um, may he rest in peace as well, that I actually ended up going to grad school. Before he passed away, he actually brought me into his office, Jarrell, and he said, hey, JD, uh, you know, I see you've been doing a lot of good work. Have you ever thought about you know, going back and furthering your education. And I was like, well, I thought about it, but I didn't really know what to do. He was the one that introduced me to, uh, to the social work programs and told me about those because of course, when you want to be a counselor or a therapist, naturally you think counseling programs. He sat me down and did the, the pros and the cons. And this is not a knock to any of my counselors, uh, my licensed clinical mental health counselors or any of you, but he was able to present it to me in a manner in which it made sense. Um, and thankfully I was able to apply and be accepted into the joint master social work program that still exists today. Um, that is a joint program between uh, UNC Greensboro and North Carolina Agriculture and Technical State University. So I was able to attend that program naturally um, and obtain my master's in social work. All right, so what was that process going into grad school? And I went to grad school myself, got my master's in education special ed. So grad school, mm -hmm. For those of you that don't know, it's a different beast. The workload is heavy, a lot of reading, a lot of writing. So pretty much bye-bye free time. So what was that like for you trying to get your mind right, knowing, hey, I got to step my academic game up? Man, um, to be honest with you, naturally with anything that I do, uh, Jarrell, that I'm passionate about or that I want to do well at, <clears throat> I was nervous. Uh, I was nervous to enter, uh, to enter back um, into the academic realm. Um, hoping to do well, but but I knew that I wanted to do something more and put myself in a position to be able uh, to, to, to touch more people and to be able to help them uh, in a larger capacity. And I knew that that was the vehicle, uh, for me at least. Um, and it was something that I went into uh, wholeheartedly to be able to give my all. Um, I actually ended up being uh, the president of my particular class uh, while I was in the Joint Master of Social Work program. Um, in addition to uh, being nominated as the president for the uh, Honor Society for Social Work Students um, and was able to actually be honored with uh, Social Work Student of the Year um, and, and gaining an assistantship under uh, the president of the program at the time. So uh, to, to me, um, my mindset was no different than it was from undergrad. In undergrad, I did a lot of solid work. Uh, we were able to, to produce um, a, a lot of positive outcomes. And in entering into that realm, I was prepared uh, to not just be a student, um, but to be an advocate, but to do my best. Um, and, and it was an experience as well that I'm very grateful for, very grateful for that program. All right. So you get your master's and then you take the big test in order to get your bona fides. For those yes. who don't know what bona fides is, that's another word for like license or credentials. And I'm sure yes. they probably was telling you during the prep, like, hey, X amount of percent of people only pass the first time. Yes. You're probably going to have to take it more than once to pass. So what was your mindset mm -hmm. going in and the outcome when you finally received that paper that says you passed? Right. Well, Jarrell, I tell the story uh, to, to all my supervisees. I actually uh, am, am currently certified to be able to uh, supervise all um, licensed clinical social work associates and all licensed clinical mental health uh, counselor associates in the state of North Carolina uh, so that they can become uh, fully licensed therapists themselves. 
Um, this is the story that I tell everyone that I meet, especially the licensed clinical social work associates who are looking uh, to take and pass their exam. Uh, me, Jarrell, I actually failed my exam. Um, I actually failed my exam a few times. Uh, I actually took the opportunity um, in failing that exam. Uh, it was one of the more defeating uh, things that I had experienced in my lifetime um, outside of other things. Uh, but professionally, um, it's the biggest blow that I had ever taken, to be honest with you. Even to the point where um, my license actually was something that had to lapse as a result of me not being able to pass my licensure exam. This is where the important part of the story comes in. I was at a crossroads in my life. Um, I had a daughter um, at the time, to be quite honest with you, and I had to make a decision. Do I take all this time, all this effort that I put in um, uh, to my future, to this career where I was passionate about helping people and turn my back on it and do something else? Or do I start from scratch, scoop, scoop up and build up with worn out tools and make one last good go at this thing? And Jarrell, I took the opportunity to do just that. Successfully, I passed that licensure exam and cried every tear I had in my body um, because it was such a rewarding element for me. I, I, I am supposed to be here. Um, I worked very hard for it. I tried very hard. I failed many times, got back up, came back, and, and was able to, as a result of that, be able to help so many different people and be able to put myself in position to be able to mentor and aid other people who are looking to become therapists in the world today and shaping future therapists and shaping future leaders. Um, it's a very, very passionate part of my life that I'm very, very proud of and super passionate about, um, to be honest with you, because I tell everyone that will listen, Never give up. If you're passionate about something, you may fail the first time, second time, third time. But if you are passionate about it, never give up. And I never gave up. Yeah. And to quote the late Sam Mills from the Carolina Panthers, keep pounding. Beat the Falcons this weekend, please. Now for African-Americans in the mental health profession, have you seen an increase of African-Americans going into mental health, especially men, because we know the stigma of mental health in the African-American community, especially amongst men that we don't open up, we don't talk. And I feel that it's great that we're seeing now that stigma slowly starting to erode and we're seeing more African-Americans and men especially be more open saying, hey, I'm going to therapy. I'm talking to somebody mm. because I don't have all the answers. Right, right. To be quite honest with you, um, thankfully, yes, we are seeing an increase uh, uh, of uh, Black men and women uh, taking an opportunity to utilize therapy. The stereotypes and the stigmas remain, though, in the community and are very real, which is why I put myself in a position that I'm in now with help from so many different people. And I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge that. Um, but it's important to be able to, when you, when, uh, especially in the Black community, uh, to be able to have someone that we can relate to. Um, I just spoke not too long ago um, with a fellow colleague um, about stereotypes and stigmas in the Black community. You know, uh, we commonly believe that going to therapy makes you crazy, right? Or, uh, you know, being able to make sure that, you know what, God will work it out um, through everything. And so we, we turn to things like that. Now, I want to say this because it's very important. Anybody who ever comes to me um, uh, within therapy and talks about like their support systems, like their faith leaders or their church. Guess what I do, Jarrell? I encourage them to continue to utilize those things because those are strong, positive supports in their lives. But I remain to put myself in place to be that extra step of help in the event that they need it. And you know what? Being able to address those stereotypes as well in relation to men, being vulnerable, uh, opening up to somebody makes you weak or you're not strong if you're going to see a therapist. It is the opposite. It is the opposite. Being able to make sure that you can uh, open up and address these things in order to improve yourself is something that is positive. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm here to, to make sure that we eliminate the stigmas and to make sure that you have a face that you can relate to when you walk through those doors to be able to, uh, to understand you 
and uh, be able to reiterate things to you in a manner in which you can understand it so you can feel understood in turn. Yes, sir. Yeah, and I was thinking back to a class that I took while I was at UNCG uh, about mm -hmm. gender and identity. Shout out to Dr. Manning, um, talking about yes. you know masculinity and mm -hmm. what does it mean to be a man? Because when you hear the phrase, be a man, it's very mm -hmm. loaded and it's very dangerous because the definition of a man can mean so many different things just because I don't know how to fix a car or be Mr. Handyman around the house don't make me no less of a man than someone that can uh, go get some wood and go do some construction work. And I just think that it is a good thing now that we're starting to be open and defining our own meanings of what does it mean to be a man, to be a woman, and to not be held down by those gender stereotypes or those stereotypes in regards to sex. And mm -hmm. I just think that the work that you're doing is very valuable. I commend you and I encourage anybody, if you are going through and if you need therapy, seek it. If you are going to church and using religion alongside therapy, do that as well. The more support that you have, the better off you'll be. Now, going into young people in mental health mm -hmm. and music, mm -hmm. Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion just released a record not too long ago called WAP. It's not woman anointed with praise. It means something else that we can't say here. But how do we feel that the, that message, along with, you know, we go far back with Foxy Brown, Little Kim, the images and the lyrics that's depicting women in a certain way where young girls are not being fed with the counter images of like your Queen Latifah's, your Rhapsodies, mm -hmm. or those that's more conscious and showing, hey, I don't have to show everybody everything in order to say, mm -hmm. I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I, this is a very important topic. And it's important to be able to recognize uh, one, one of the most obvious things. This is adult content. Even when we were younger, right, Jarrell, we had the little Kims of the world, as you mentioned, the Foxy Browns of the world, and we had like these uh, uh, female artists, you know, um, who may have dressed provocatively, or even uh, a male hip hop artists that are using like explicit, explicit lyrics and things of that nature. It's important to be able to recognize that they are making music, right, and content for a specific audience. And that is the adult audience, to be honest with you. Now, do we have children that are exposed to these things um, um, on a on a uh, on a day to day basis? Absolutely. Um, I would be lying if I was to pretend that that was something that did not happen. So it's important on the parental side of things, on the mentor side of things, on the support side of things, that we're very careful with what it is that our children are exposed to. We live in a te technological age, Jarrell, where. Uh, Every, almost every kid is walking around with what? A tablet, a cell phone, where they can hear this music, access these videos at any given point in time. Uh, it is a great responsibility to the parents to be able to have the needed conversations, um, depending on the nature, um, the age and level of maturity of your children, and also to make sure um, that we're doing effective monitoring. You know, being able to make some kind of effort is better than no effort. And in the event that children are exposed, it's important to be able to fill those questions um, and have conversations that are most appropriate, right? Of course, like I said, for their age and level of maturity um, in order to, to kind of field and promote some kind of understanding. But it is, uh, 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 we have to make sure that we do not forget that like I said, Jarrell, in the beginning, that this is adult content meant for adults. Mm -hmm. And kids nowadays won't know the feeling of your parents going to Walmart, Kmart, or whatever store and getting you the mm -hmm. clean version of rap albums, yes. the squeaky clean <laughs> sanitized versions. Because when Snoop Dogg was talking about it ain't no fun, in the clean version, he's saying it ain't no fun when your toys are on the floor. But the important thing with artists is that, you know, you grow as you mature, because I look at Jay-Z, shout out to Ski Beats from Greensboro, mm -hmm. you know, um, Greensboro, putting it down, um, did Reasonable Doubt, Camp Low, original flavor, mm -hmm. you know, just to see Jay-Z's growth from Reasonable Doubt to 444, 
the way he was talking about ownership, grown man stuff. And I feel that if you're talking about the same thing that you was back in 96, in 2020, then you still haven't done a lot of growth, a lot of living, because it's something when you're 40, 50 years old saying, bees ain't you know what, but if I say, I love my wife, you know, I'm faithful or whatever, it shows the evolution and hopefully that your fans could have the evolution alongside you as they grow and experience because it comes a point in your life where you have to put those childish things behind you when you have somebody else to answer to, whether it be a child or a significant other, then we just hope that artists and those in general can have that linear path of growth and maturity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're definitely very right. Um, it, 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 Jay-Z, um, the Jay-Z's of the world, the LL Cool J's of the world um, have, have shown this, I mean, great immortality. Um, to be honest with you, in the music industry and being able to evolve with the times, right? Be able to talk about uh, the changes of the, of the things that are going on in their lives and able to address their audiences that are growing with them. And it's been amazing to be along for the ride. And it just doesn't seem to be anywhere near over. And, and, and that's the exciting part about it. Like, I, I still uh, wait in anticipation, to be honest with you, for um, a, a Jay-Z project, solo project. Uh, to be able to come along just to see, you know, like I said, what's what's next? Like what what left does he have? And um, he just keeps, you know, making uh, uh, making music that I feel like um, personally continues to be entertaining for the audience that is growing with him. So uh, uh, that, that, that's an amazing talent, to be honest with you, to be able to, to last that long um, and continue uh, to be highly anticipated and sought after uh, uh, sonically. Uh, that's that that is amazing it's amazing so uh uh yeah it, it's great for um our artists to be able to have that kind of longevity um, um in the music industry. yeah mm -hmm. and to not put out an album in years and still spend money from 88 i mean you are the goat for that you see what i did there right so what is your mm -hmm. thoughts on rhapsody because when i first heard rhapsody and saw that she was from the 252 my neck of the woods i was like okay we really about to be on now especially for the females Yes. Um, let me tell you something right now. Rhapsody is not to be played with. Um, th that woman, um, I mean, just blesses a microphone, to be quite honest with you. Um, when I was exposed to her, um, I, I actually was exposed to uh, a lot of different prominent artists before they got bigger um, through my stepfather. Um, he would contact me and send me different things. And actually, I uh, got to give some credit to uh, one of my fraternity brothers, too, um, who actually, like, regularly we exchange, like, different uh, songs, clips, YouTubes. Hey, have you heard of this artist? Hey, have you listened to this? And when Rhapsody came my way through those channels, to be honest with you, man, I was blown away. I was blown away. I mean, we have a lot of female talent in the game. And we, and we have had it you know, for some time. And it's just, it, it's great to be able to see them actually out here with the lyrics. And Rhapsody, oh my gosh, ha has the lyrics, has the lyrics. Um, and, and it's just amazing, like I said, because what it does is it just, it just sends me through the wormhole, right? The rabbit hole rabbit of just so many different artists, female, male, different cultural backgrounds, right? In different countries that are just out here killing it. But much respect. Um, to to uh, Rhapsody uh, and, and all North Carolina artists um, that are doing major things right now. That's just it's just wonderful to see, and it makes me very proud. It does. Yeah, big facts. Because when the Eve album dropped, I was like, that's my top five album of the year. That along with YBN Corday, Lost Boys, and then uh, yeah. Made the Lord Watch by Little Brother. Another connection with Rhapsody, a friend who I went to school with, actually plays in her band. Oh, wow. Yeah, it plays keys for Rhapsody. So when I saw him on uh, something on Netflix she was on, I was like, yo, I went to school with him. But it's just definitely good for me to see North Carolina putting on right now, not only in music, but sports as well. You know, we got Bam Adebayo from Washington in the NBA Finals. We had, uh, I think it was Montrez Harrell from Rocky Mount win Most Improved mm -hmm. Player of the Year. Brandon Ingram from Kinston 
Kobe White out of Goldsboro, Jimmy Graham from Goldsboro. You still got CP3 mm -hmm. from Winston holding it down in the league, PJ Tucker mm -hmm. from Raleigh. So NC, you know, it's definitely a great time to be a tar be from the Tar Heel State. That's right. That's right. I mean, pr producing so many different talents from so many different areas um, uh, is, is something that people should continue to make sure that they keep an eye on because North Carolina, I mean, has just been prominent in so many different areas of the world. And we continue to, to, to be just that. So um, I couldn't be more proud, uh, to be honest with you, Jarrell, to be from North Carolina. Um, I represent it everywhere I go, uh, represent my hometown everywhere I go. And uh, it's just uh, something that I'm very proud of. Yes, yes same here. I rep 252 everywhere I go, even though I'm in New Mexico, the 505. Whenever I go <laughs> home, I got to stop and hit up Bojangles, hit up Cookout. Mm -hmm. And we're known for more than just Pepsi, Texas Pete, NASCAR, birthplace of Michael Jordan. Now, I want to switch gears back onto mental health and young adults. Now, we know that in most places, it's either online learning only or it's a hybrid, where it's in-person or online. And what mm -hmm. I've been noticing is that for a lot of our young people being away from their friends and doing like we're doing now, sitting in front of a computer, virtual learning, it's having a dr dramatic effect on their mental health. So how can the young people combat mental health fatigue and still be able to get that social fix of being around their friends while maintaining safe social distancing protocols, depending on your state regulations? Mm -hmm. Great topic. Um, I've actually had the honor to speak on it um, on several different occasions in relation to the pandemic, with that being uh, the primary focus uh, in the world, amongst other things right now. And it is important to make sure uh, for my parents and, and students to make sure that we're having these conversations, right? Making sure that we're actively talking with one another about what it is that's going on. What is it that your, your children uh, actively understand about what is happening in the world right now? Be able to seek their input, right? Field questions and be able to keep the door open for conversation, right? Also with the pandemic has come so many different, Jarrell, unforeseen uh, changes and routine schedule circumstances, right? It's important to be able to create some normality um, or, or some hard schedule uh, moments within our lives, right? Scheduling bedtime, scheduling family times, scheduling breaks, right? Uh, uh, and being able to do things like that. Also taking an opportunity to normalize what folks are going through. You are not alone. There are so many different children that are dealing with what it is that you are dealing with and, and taking an opportunity to recognize that, you know what, you're not the only person that's going through this. I have an eight-year-old daughter, Jarrell. Uh, she has to take the opportunity to utilize virtual learning as well and hasn't had the opportunity to be around her friends as she would like to in the past. But if there are ways to be creative, we've had Zoom parties, Jarrell. We've had like porch parties where like, you know what, uh, you're on your porch and you're driving up in your car and you're taking an opportunity to interact from, from the sunroof of your vehicle or just outside and being able to just to lay eyes on your friend has been something that has just been so rewarding, right? And we can't forget our coping skills, right? Making sure that kids are exposed to walks outside or exercise or riding your bike or like any kind of family outing where you can, where you can just uh, get out of the environment that you're in all the time. It's important that we stick together and also to be creative. Um, and, and because solutions are not one size fits all. So make sure that you're taking an opportunity to engage with your neighbors and other support systems to see what it is that is working for them and, and share your ideas and things that have worked and things that have not worked um, with one another in order to, to build up what it is that will work for your family and for your children. It's very important that we stick together during these times. Yeah, and for me being a former educator, special ed, my concern mm -hmm. is about you know the parents of children with special needs just trying to figure out mm -hmm. how are their needs been, being met if they're on a BIP or IEP, especially if you're doing uh, virtual learning, because I know for a lot of working parents, it's a dilemma, depending on what mm -hmm. profession you're in. Some are a little bit more flexible, willing to work with you, while others, you got to make that decision where like, hey, I got to stay full time and be teaching to my kids or go out mm -hmm. and get this bread. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't put a yeah. parent in, in that situation where you got to choose my kids on my job. Yeah, yeah, that's that's been something that I've been dealing with a lot. 
um, uh, as a therapist um, in the outpatient setting and talking with parents that are dealing with a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression um, in relation to these changes and having to make decisions and balance those. Uh, it's been difficult for some and others have been uh, a little bit more fortunate. But even if you're on the fortunate side, we cannot take an opportunity to forget that there are folks that are struggling. And, and that's what I meant by being able to make sure that, uh, to remember that we're in this together and to stick together because there are always, there's always someone that can use um, our assistance, our support, or just a listening ear. Yeah, and I'm going to relate this to a little bit with my day gig. I work for the state of New Mexico Human Services and just seeing a lot of people applying for benefits and some say, man, this is my first time. Having that stigma of, you know, feeling ashamed, you know, feeling embarrassed. I didn't do anything right. I did everything I was supposed to do. And I'm in this situation because, you know, we read articles about people who've never been in a pantry line or go on to a food bank, mm -hmm. it's their first time. And it's definitely a situation where for some, it's like, I never thought I would be in this situation. And especially with the moratorium about to live on apartment rentals and some people mm -hmm. are having to pay month of back rent and not knowing, hey, where am I going to lay my head? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it, it's something like uh, of the likes that we've never seen before, um, to be honest with you. And of course, there have been plenty of other pandemics um, uh, throughout the course of American history that have impacted folks in different ways. Um, but for at least the the majority of living Americans at this time, um, this is something like we've never seen before. Um, where we're seeing a lot of folks being evicted, um, a lot of financial crises. Um, a lot of uh, mental health crises, <clears throat> a lot of racial tension um, as a result of things that are going on as well. Um, some folks are calling it the perfect storm. Uh, me, I'm calling it the perfect opportunity for us to be able uh, to rise from it. Um, it's in the face of adversity where you, where you find your most noble self. Um, and, and all of these things present opportunities uh, for us to rise again as we've done before. Yeah, because to me, it feels like you know, and do the right thing where it's a hot summer's day in Brooklyn. Everybody's hot. You have all of these tensions starting to boil and spill over. And I feel we're at that point where everybody's like, look, I want to listen to you. I want to listen to you. I don't care what the governor says. I don't care what so-and-so says. I'm going to do what I want to do because I want to get out of this house. I've been cooped up for X amount of months. I don't want to wear my mask. I'm going to do what I want to do. And as we've seen in states all over, there's been rises in COVID deaths, rises in cases of people, some people not wanting to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is unfortunate, uh, to be quite honest with you, that uh, we've had so many different people pass um, and experience uh, any kind of effects from uh, COVID-19, um, you know, I strongly encourage folks uh, to put themselves in positions uh, uh, to be um, the safest as they can for themselves and their families, uh, regardless of what it is that you believe. Um, there are folks um, in, on the left and to the right, right, that believe um, uh, different things in relation to the pandemic and COVID, uh, whether it is, it doesn't really exist to, hey, wear a mask everywhere it is that you go. Um, I'm just asking, uh, for folks to make sure that they make the decisions that are best for the health and safety for them and their families, to be quite honest with you. Um, as for me and my profession, um, I take all the proper health uh, and safety precautions to make sure that I am not um, aiding in the spread uh, of, of any um, airborne viruses um, such as uh, COVID-19 that has a high rate of spreading and can affect people um, of all ages in many different ways. So it's important to be safe. It is. Mm -hmm. And given with social media, with everything is so right, so left, you know, no matter what your political or religious affiliation is, how important do you mm -hmm. think for people it is to just turn it off, not deal with it for like maybe a day, a week, a month, or what have you, to just get it away, go out for a walk, meditate, mm -hmm. pray, whatever it is that you do and just clear your mind of everything that's going on. Absolutely. Uh, in my clinical opinion, I definitely suggest it. Um, it is completely okay to be able to take a break 
from these things, uh, limiting uh, social media exposure, taking an opportunity just to turn the news off, right? I'm not saying completely ignore it from now until the end of time, but being able just to take a break from, you know, so many different sad stories and so many different serious topics um, in order to be able to just relax and rejuvenate um, continues to be important. Like you said, going for a walk, getting some sunshine on your face, uh, doing something positive like a gratitude journal, right, or uh, um, anything else that helps to lift your mood taking an opportunity to listen to positive music, right? Where they're talking about positive things and something that puts a smile on your face or gets you dancing, like being able to expose yourself to, to positive things of that nature um, can pay uh, dividends in a tremendous way. Yeah, or, or you could do mirror raps like my girl Issa Rae in Insecure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Those two. Hey, whatever works for you and what is the most affirming to you in a positive way, do that. Even if it means mirror rapping, my favorite pastime. Yes. Or, or walking around talking. <laughs> so whatever you got to do to get yourself through, be like Nike and just do it. So how can adults get themselves mentally prepared, even though like with everything going on, because you're balancing work, you're balancing kids. If you're married, you're balancing married life. So what can adults do to where I can be my best self, not feel like I'm burning the midnight oil and not having right. enough to give? Right. It's important for adults. It's important for everyone to make sure that you are paying attention to yourself. Um, notice when you're uh, starting to, to act unlike yourself or act out of routine, or if uh, some, somebody that's within your support or so someone that you respect is able to actively notice that, hey, you're acting differently or, uh, uh, or talking differently, reacting differently, behaving differently in any particular way. It's at that particular time that you know that you may have to take a step back from something or be able to utilize the coping skills that work for you. Notice that I said that work for you. Coping skills and solutions are not one size fits all, Jarrell, despite popular belief. Because we like, folks love to do that, make suggestions for things that work for them. It's important to be able to ask somebody, hey, what is it that, that's worked, that works for you? Or what has worked for you in the past? Or what are some things that you naturally enjoy doing that help boost your mood and put a smile on your face? Like, those are the most genuine and most impactful coping skills that exist. Um, and being able to make sure that we dig within the crates of ourselves to see what it is that's on our utility belt already to be able to use. And in the event that guess what? The things that you're using are just not working out. Um, the supports uh, that you used in the past are, are just not making as big as an impact as they were before. And take an opportunity to evaluate the need for professional help. Um, it's nothing wrong with being able to seek uh, an opinion from a professional. When you're sick, folks go to the doctor. If you have a sore tooth or something like that, you go to a dentist. If you're just not feeling like yourself, it is okay to be able to seek out a therapist. And we're, and we're here and more than happy, willing, and ready to be able to help. Yeah, and whatever works for you is like going to a custom suit shop. You're not going to mm. get a suit that's made for JD. The tailor's mm. going to look at you, measure you up, Say, okay, you mm. like your pants a certain way? I'm going to make it just for you. You like your shoes a certain way? I'm going to get your shoes just for you. You want your jacket like this? I'm going to get your jacket just the way you like it, and only you can wear it. So look at your mental health as going to S&K, Men's Warehouse, or wherever you like to get your fine suits, or if you're in the Detroit area, probably somewhere on every corner. But either way, look at it as you're getting yourself together to where you're fresh so that you can be better, not only for you, but for everybody around you. Now, real quickly, I want to talk about uh, the creative space in the entertainment industry. I mentioned Issa Rae earlier, and of course, Insecure, big show, HBO. She got to start on a YouTube web series, Awkward Black Girl. But we're also seeing the explosion of Black creators all over, such as Lena Waite and The Shy. Donald Glover in Atlanta. So how do you think about the positive representation of African-Americans in the creative space? And I believe we haven't really seen that many representations since the 90s, you know, with Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society, Juice, Fresh, Underrated Classic, Dope Stupid, Dope Moves, the list goes on and on of all those great movies that came out during that time period. And we're kind of seeing them building off the shoulders of those movements of decades past. Yes, um, it, it is It is 
amazing to see so much melanated magic out here, Jarrell, to be honest with you, man. Uh, to see so many different um, members of the Black community um, out here utilizing their talents on grand stages, grand stages, and, and not just keeping their talents um, or, their, or their philanthropic efforts to themselves, but taking an opportunity to reach back into communities, uh, giving folks opportunities to be able to utilize their talents or display their talents on different platforms that, are, that would have otherwise gone unnoticed. Um, it's an amazing time that we're living in right now. Um, it's an amazing time, uh, to be honest with you, uh, to be Black uh, and, and to be proud, to be honest with you. And it's, it's something that, uh, that I'm very passionate about talking about, something that I'm uh, just very excited to see uh, when I see uh, um, uh, Black and Brown people in positions uh, to be able to display their talents and give back to the world in so many different ways. Um, we're just not, um, like I said, one-sided or just able to wear one hat. Uh, there are folks that are out here that are not all, uh, just entertainers, but they're businessmen and women, um, and they're involved in so many different other efforts, collaborative efforts, uh, political efforts, um, uh, advocacy efforts, um, mental health efforts. Um, it's, it's just been amazing to see, and, and, I, and I could not be more proud. Um, it's very, very motivating, very encouraging. Yeah, one word of advice, people. Be like Ace Boogie. Don't be like Rico. If you've seen Pain and Fool, you know what I'm talking about. Ace Boogie, he got on. He put his friends on. And I relate that to LeBron James, because LeBron, once he got drafted, he got himself in the door, brought his boys in, put his boys in position once they showed themselves approved, and they're taking over, black-owned. They made men. And if you look at the LA Lakers roster, most of the roster are all Rich Paul clients. And LeBron and Rich are asserting their muscle and saying, we're not going to do it the traditional way. We're going to do it our way. And we're going to make our footprint while doing it. That's right. That's right. Great to see huge... LeBron fan, huge LeBron fan. Um, it's been great to see how he's grown um, uh, uh, just within his uh, within himself and within his business. Um, being around the same age as him, um, it's very much so motivating and encouraging. Uh, hope to be able to meet him one day and collaborate with him as well. Yeah, and seeing the boots on the ground movement where everybody uh, participated in Black Lives Matter and the various movements from, you know, attorney Ben Crump, and we're seeing Charlemagne the God being outspoken and being out in the forefront using his platform along with Breakfast Club. Shout out to Charlemagne from South Carolina, you know, SC, and also shout out to Tamika Mallory out there on the forefront doing her thing. I see you, Cuzzo doing your thing and um, just everybody that's out there using their platform to do good. And that's what it's all about. Just taking your platform, no matter if you have one person or 10, using it for good, using for something to be effective and getting the message out. And that is what the message is here where even though I interview people within the music industry, I interview everybody because everybody has a story. And to go beyond the album cover means that you take a look beyond the front and the back of the cover. You peel the inside, you look at what used to be called liner notes or album credits, and you get the full in-depth story. And that's what we're doing here at Beyond the Album Cover, just getting the full in-depth story, their truth, fair, true, no biases, and raw. That's right. And, and, and you definitely touched on a very important subject um, in relation to uh, uh, racial tensions and Black Lives Matter. Um, and it's just important to be able to state, um, you know, whether you believe in the organization, right, the formal organization, Black Lives Matter uh, or not, uh, is one thing. But uh, it's important to be able to recognize the statement um, of it um, and why folks um, are being able to say that. Um, it's not that other lives do not matter. You know, it's just important to be able to recognize that, yes, Black lives do matter as a result of the things that it is that we are um, currently facing and, and have faced for so many different years and what it is that we have overcome and what we are continuing uh, to advocate for and press forward to be able to overcome, not just for equality, but for equity as well. 
Um, and it's important that people from all uh, racial backgrounds, cultures, um, religions, and things of that nature be able to bond together to be able to recognize um, that there's a war going on um, right in our backyards, right in our front yards um, on Black lives. Um, and it is only through bonding together arm in arm um, that we'll be able to make it through this. So yes, Black lives do most certainly matter. All right. And I want to leave you out on this. What is your favorite posse cut of all time? Rap posse cut. For those of you that don't know, that's two or more and you're on a record. So your top posse cut of all time. Top posse cut. And, is, and, 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 and I couldn't hear your explanation. This is like favorite song of all yeah, time? Yeah, favorite rap record, but it's a posse cut, you know, where you got features. I'll give an example, like a scenario. Track Call Quest. Oh, yeah, 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 where you, where you have features. So, every, so, so with a lot of different people on it. Let me yeah. see. Because you put five. Let me see. Posse cut. With a lot of different features on it. Hmm. I got him, John. I mean, ladies and gentlemen. Gosh, my favorite one. And I'm I'm blanking right now. And I know that like literally my my older brothers are screaming at the screen right now. And everybody that I know is probably screaming at the screen screen right now. I'll go ahead and give you mine while you're thinking of yours. So for mine, it would have to be the the symphony. For me, that's my number one posse cut, the symphony. Then I will go with Live at the Barbecue, you know, Main Source. First time we heard Nas, we had Akinelli on there, Fat Joe on there. Then I will go with the I Shot You remix, LL, Keith Murray, Foxy Brown, Prodigy, Fat Joe. Then Mm -hmm. I will go with Band from TV, Noriega, Cameron, Mm -hmm. Big Pun. And then for my Fifth posse cut, I have to go with scenario. Tribe scenario. Leaders of the new school. Buster Rhymes coming out. That's where you knew you were a high MC if you were the last person to go on a feature. Absolutely, you better believe it. You better believe it because your all the ones that you mentioned, of course, as a reminder, were were really really great. Um, I just feel like man, the, the and I feel like I was cheating or would be cheating if I came up with this answer. But I mean, just do the Wu Tang songs count as a posse cut? We because, we can we, I mean, we can put the Wu as a posse cut because literally you're nine separate MCs in one group. Can we do that? Yeah, okay, you can you can put Wu. You can put Wu. Yeah, because I, I like the Wu, and of course they're all one group or what may have you, man. But immediately what comes to mind, and everybody has their favorite Wu tracks, man. But man, Cream, Cream. And, and the verses that were on Cream, man, and everybody that came through on that, that takes me back to my childhood. That takes me back to, to like early introductions to hip hop, man, when, when I uh, uh, got into it myself, to be quite honest with you, man, as an artist in different ways, man, with my older brothers leading the way um, uh, and influencing me in that particular realm, man. But uh, Wu-Tang Cream, man, like, Oh my gosh, man. I mean, so many different prominent records uh, just from, from that affiliate, man. The, the, those dudes are timeless um, and, and can continue just to shut everything down, man. So uh, I, yeah, I felt like that I would be cheating by being able to mention them early on. So I tried to think of uh, a track with various artists on it, but I mean, the Wu-Tang, they are various artists. So man, shout out to the Wu. Shout out to the Wu, man. That, that legendary group, uh, timeless, iconic, every other large, tremendous word that you would like to use, man. But those guys, I mean, legends, legends in the hip hop. Definitely, definitely. And my honorable mention would go to Don't Curse. Are you familiar with that one? I am. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, Don't Curse. Heavy D, Pete Rock, CL Smooth, yeah. Big Daddy Kane, Cool G Rap, and Q-Tip. That, that's another dope positive cut. And because of the fact that they didn't curse on the record, that's what made yes. it so hot. Right, right, right. Being able to do that, they they took the Fresh Prince route, right? Like without without cursing ever, um, in the music, man. And and it takes you know, like I said, great talent to be able to do that too. So to be able to spread it around like that, I felt like it was pretty dope, to be honest. I really do. Yeah, definitely, Dad. And sleep on Will if you want to. His rap skills right. were underrated. And hate on MC Hammer. 
Hit on MC Hammer right. if you want to. Hammer was doing <laughs> pop numbers when rap was still underground. You understand? We wouldn't have Drake be. numbers if it wasn't for MC Hammer. Hammer had some beats. And Red Man tells a story on DJ Vlad how he tried to test Hammer. Hammer had to come mm. see him and was like, don't let these pants fool you. That's it. That's I'm from it. Oakland. You better be careful. I'm from Oakland. <laughs> I, I, can, I, can, I can throw these hands. I know That's Too Short. Right. Yeah, shout out to Too Short. Shout out to E-40. And before we go off, man, um, yeah. I want to talk about the Rough Riders and No Limit Chronicles. Just thinking about their movements and how they were able to take sounds that were confined to regions of the country and it became nationwide, especially what Master P did on the business front. Yes, man. Um, I mean, two huge organizations, man, um, that changed hip hop uh, in, in dramatic ways, to be honest with you, man, that just had so many different talents within them and the backstories were 10 times as better, right? So, like, I was a huge fan of both, man, um, uh, of both the Rough Riders and No Limit. Um, still listen to, to, uh, to, to both organizations' music today. To be honest with you, I would be remiss if I did not mention Cash Money because when Cash Money kind of started entering themselves into the mix when No Limit had already established themselves, right? Like, it was something like, you know, a lot of people slept on them. But I'll never forget when I was in middle school is when I got introduced to Cash Money uh, through, through uh, one of my peers at the time. And I remember that first tape that I heard. Um, and it had all of them on it, man. Hot Boys, uh, of course, um, and, and everybody that was affiliated with them. Of course, Juvenile, Turk, uh, BG, Lil Wayne, right? And, and literally, man, um, just hearing them and just hearing how they were able to approach the records, I knew that they were on to something. And of course, the rest is history. Um, su such iconic organizations with such iconic music, timeless beats. Oh my goodness! Um, just uh, just takes you back to a good time uh, uh, within life, um, and, and a good time within hip hop as well. I feel like the hip hop just has so many different eras that, depending on how old you are, right, you can appreciate, and others uh, uh, may feel differently than that. But um, it's just important to be able to respect the game and how much that it continues to evolve um, and how much uh, that so many people have given such timeless music to. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and definitely shout outs to the godfathers of Southern rap, Uncle Luke down in Miami of Luke Records, yes. Jay Prince, rap a lot. And also Memphis doesn't get enough credit for the blueprint that they laid in hip hop, you know, with DJ Spanish, Fly, 8-Ball, MJG, Three six. Yeah. I had a chance to go to Memphis last year mm -hmm. and coming out of the Civil Rights Museum, there was the arcade restaurant. And I was telling my wife, I was like, that's where Three Six Mafia did the Tennis Club Up video. Right, right. Absolutely. Wow. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know that. And of course, I mean, I expect for you to know, you know, um, absolutely. But I mean, great artists, great artists out of Memphis, man. Uh, great artists just out of the South, man. The, the, the South. Um, is not to be disrespected, you know? So, um, yeah, much respect, man, to everybody out of the South, man, that have been able to contribute uh, to hip-hop and continue to contribute to hip-hop. Yes, sir. Yeah, because like Andre 2000 said, when Outkast won the Best New Artist at the Source Awards, the South got something to say, and decades later, we are still saying it, and we're still repping. That's right. Yes, sir. That's so, right. do you have any shout-outs you want to give before we conclude this interview and also plug your social media? Um, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Endless shout outs. Uh, shout out to Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, thank you for so much for raising me and continue to influence me and continue to push me. Um, shouts out to my alma maters, uh, Dudley High School. Um, shouts out to UNC Greensboro, UNCG. Shouts out to, uh, North Carolina A&T as well. Um, for all the influences, of course, within my family, within the city, within the state, within the world, to be honest with you. Shout out to, um, uh, the Playboy Pizeta chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Shouts out to my older brother. Shouts out to my parents, my family members, friends. Uh, shouts out to my beautiful daughter and uh, my most uh, wonderful, beautiful, gorgeous um, fiance, Courtney. Love you very much. Love you all very much. Jarrell, shouts out to you, man. Um, you know, you came to me during a time, to be honest with you, man, where uh, I've been able to to, to increase um, my public presence I and mean, being able to talk about mental health 
um, as a black provider. And uh, it's been something that uh, I have been truly grateful and honored to be able to do, man. And I'm even more honored to be able to do this on your platform as a fellow Spartan, my brother. Um, I salute you and I appreciate you for being able to have me today, man. This has been amazing. Y'all don't fault me for the uh, for the posse cut, you know, for me getting stuck. I thought I was cheating with Wu-Tang, but thank you, thank you so much for having me, Jarrell, man. This has been amazing, man, and, uh, and, and you've always been a trendsetter um, and being able to do some tremendous interviews, and I'm just honored to be able to be amongst the numbers, sir. Thank you. Oh, um, man, I appreciate you, and you can catch this interview on Beyond the Album Cover, available on all streaming platforms and on YouTube at youtube.com slash j85. Follow the Facebook show page, facebook.com slash Beyond the Album Cover to stay updated. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Right here on Beyond the Album Cover, my good friend, Mr. Jaron, J.D. Doby, licensed clinical social worker. J.D., thank you for coming on, bro. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jarrell. Special shout out to uh, Invincible 251 as well. And Jarrell, thank you so much for having me. Uh, no problem.